0: Last week, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I didn't put last week's message up because I had to fix it before I would put it on the internet. I made a mistake last week. I preached a great, as uh, my brother Steve said, two-thirds of a message. Right right up, the scriptures were great, the, the interpretation was great, right up to the point where I goofed it up. And the point where I goofed it up was the conclusions that I drew and the wisdom that I used to draw those conclusions. So I just want to say um, thank you to Steve. I don't know whether you wanted to be broadcast as the person that uh, called me out, but Steve, I'm proud of you for doing it. I'm glad that you've studied to get yourself to the place where you can have an opinion that is respected, that you know the word, that you have a process of forgive me for this word but uh, exegeting the word of God so that when you come and you bring correction to somebody that you can do it from a position of, um, of soundness I thank you also for the courage and I thank you um, that you trust me that you could come to me and uh, tell me something that wasn't all that pleasant to hear but I really did need to hear you church I want to tell you this is the reason why we have to have relationships there are going to be times in all of our lives where we get something wrong and if there's nobody in our life to tell us then we're just going to continue in wrong. When Steve called me, actually texted me and then I called him and he, he said to me you know, his thoughts about the message and his thoughts about my conclusions um, I have to say that my, I think my initial reactions were fleshly and I started to, to play the same game with him that other, others have played with me um, I'll call that "what if," but he stood his ground, and I have to tell you that I felt some conviction. I felt like something inside my convictor was was hearing what he was saying. He asked me to go and watch Wes Morris's, Pastor Wes's sermon from uh, last Sunday, because Wes was addressing the same things and came to a different conclusion than I did. and And I would say, if you're struggling with this, You'll see a great teaching from Wes last Sunday if you wanted to go on The Rock's website. He didn't address the brotherly love, stumbling block uh, part that I did, um, but he addressed this whole idea of should we meet or shouldn't we meet, and he did a great scriptural job of presenting um, his position. So, all that being said, I told you last week that my conclusion was... I needed to talk to the elders, but if it, if it was just up to where I'm at right now, I'd say we'll be together under the church's roof next Sunday, which would be right now. But I drew that conclusion from earthly wisdom and not heavenly wisdom. I decided that when, the, when, I, when I could make a case for the governor, governor's righteous motives, whether I really thought they were or not, if I could make a case for him, then I, I was obligated by the scriptures to surrender to her authority. But if I could make a case in my conscience that her motives were unrighteous and she was serving something other than our welfare, then I could disregard her commands, her edicts, her instructions, and go my own way. The scriptures don't give me that license. So I took a license from wisdom that I could cook up to get what I want. And I think the reason why I wanted it well I, I know the big reason I wanted it is this isn't my idea of awesome church um, I think that we should be together I should, we should be greeting each other with a holy kiss and, and with our arms wrapped around one another and, and quite frankly if we had to do church with six foot spacing and masks on and all that kind of stuff I'm not sure it would be better than this so there's a time coming where I think this question in my heart is going to come up again But I don't think it's a valid question right now. So I want to apologize to all of you that I preached to you a message that was probably scripturally very sound, but I made a conclusion that I didn't have the right from God to do. And um, I'm going to try to not re-preach last week's message, but I've spent all week wrestling with this, you know, do we or don't we? Do we or don't we? You know, the, the governor says that we... We can't. It's not her wish that we would. But if we do, she's not going to put us in jail. If other organizations were to, to do that, she would put them in jail, or write them a ticket, or do whatever the consequences are. But for the church, the synagogue, the the mosque, you guys can. You shouldn't, but you can do it if you want to. So, I'm going to take a look at the scriptures we looked at last week. Um, expand the context a little bit in. First Peter um, presents you some other scriptures to help you see why we have to be very careful how we make decisions and um, I've asked God to forgive me I know he has I know he's cleansed me of all unrighteousness I, I know that he wasn't surprised that I stuck my foot in my mouth praise God that that uh, he's patient and he's merciful and he's graceful and he's kind and that he didn't have to strike me with lightning to get that into my head so let me just read to you from James chapter 3. This doesn't have anything to do with the, the meat of today's scripture, but I want to just give you the, this, the wisdom uh, scriptures that I stumbled over. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If, if you didn't notice, all the scripture references are at the top of the chat screen, so you could um, stick some pieces of paper in your Bible and get there quicker. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from heaven, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There is, there is, there are, I'm not sure what the right English is. There, there's two kinds of wisdom. And the Bible doesn't distinguish in labeling them wisdom. There's earthly wisdom, and there's the wisdom from above, heavenly wisdom. They both act as a tool to help us to make decisions. One of them is pure and holy. The other one is earthly, demonic. Uh, It's got arrogance and self-ambition are its motives. But it's still wisdom. You can make a logical case with earthly wisdom to a decision that's a wrong decision In light of God's will. And the kingdom. But it's wisdom. And that's why it's so tricky. Because you can make sense out of earthly wisdom. Except it's contrary to the Lord. So. We need to be very careful. That we make our decisions based upon heavenly wisdom. And we need to be very careful. That we don't isolate ourselves. Into a place where there's no Steve White. To call you out. When you make a mistake. Or that you're not careful to listen and be humble when you hear those things because I am such a work in progress. I mean, I, come from, I must be like the most insecure guy in the world. There's a million insecurities I never even knew I had until I became a pastor. And then it's like you're the king with no clothes or something. It's just amazing to me how that change in roles just exposed all my insecurities. And uh, one of those insecurities is that I, I want to be, be a good pastor. I want to be a guy who can teach wisdom. So, uh, and I want to be a guy who's right. <laughs> so when somebody calls you up and they say, number one, you're wrong, and number two, I can prove it by a guy who's in your same spot and he did it right, that just, that just jams me up in, in two places where I'm weak. But I praise God for doing it. Because I don't have a competition with Wes Morris, I don't have a competition with Jim Wiegand or Bill Bolin or you know, any of those guys. I, I am absolutely complete in the Lord based upon his call on my life and how he plans to get it done, and I have to be content with that and I'm telling you I've come a long way, but there's still work to be done. So just the, the, the word to everybody is this be cautious, be transparent. And be humble if somebody comes to you so that you can actually get yourself to a place of heavenly wisdom and not earthly wisdom. All right, got that behind me. That's Liam saying good morning to everybody. He's getting ready to go out and have his breakfast someplace. Let's talk a minute about our current situation. I, I, you know, I'm not the oldest person, but I'm pretty familiar with the, the history prior to my birth and I think this is an unprecedented time in, in all our lifetime. There's there've been other times where we've had to you know, where mankind has had to deal with quarantines and you know, all those kinds of things. But in my lifetime it's unprecedented. And if somebody would have said to me, you know, four months ago, I don't know how long we've been doing this, five months ago, here's what's gonna happen. Would you believe it or wouldn't you? I'd say, No way. I mean you're on drugs or something. There's no chance that we would do that. But here we are. We deal with restrictions. We deal with an economy that's experiencing the greatest unemployment, you know, the worst ever, I think. I can't imagine. This doesn't feel worse than the Great Depression. But really high unemployment, the last number I saw was almost 15%. I struggle in this difficult time with um, motives i don't know who to believe i don't know what facts are true and what facts aren't true i know that there's a side that sees a conspiracy behind every tree and a side that says no no people are really getting sick as a matter of fact i was on a a zoom call um thursday night i think it was with a bunch of pastors from the assemblies of god and and i'm getting to the place where i'm thinking you know i don't know anybody that's got covid um I don't know whether this thing is real. I don't know whether our responses makes any sense at all. But there's pastors in other parts of just Michigan, like in the Detroit area. One guy has had, I think he said he had either four or seven people from his congregation die from COVID. Another, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40, some number like that, that either are currently diagnosed or are recovering or, or have recovered from COVID and that over 50% of his congregation that he leads have in some way in their like first person circle of relationships had somebody that's either been sick with it diagnosed, died um, in some way been touched by it and that just blows my mind away that it's it really is a bad 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 thing and people really are dying not just a government conspiracy to to I don't know what. The point is, it's very confusing right now because we don't know what's going on because the people that we would like to trust are all saying different things. There's a lot of mistrust for our government. Um, So I'll I'll try to hold back from my opinions, but I want to give you a perspective on government. There's, There's, I don't know how many million not million lots and lots of different types of government there's parliamentary <laughs> Liam says hi again that's alright it's alright it's okay hi Liam good morning you going, going out to eat that'll be awesome alright back to you there's many different kinds of government there's, there's governments that are built around a parliament there's dictatorships there's monarchies there's democracies there's theocracies In the United States, we have what's called a democratic republic. We're not purely uh, democratic. That would be a nightmare because the 51% could could dictate anything to the 49% and it could be crazy. So we have this constitution that truly governs our republic and the authority, all the authority in our government lies within that constitution. I saw a thing that somebody wrote. It was a very thoughtful thing. But in in that, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, so the person that sent it to me, don't get mad at me, but they basically were grateful, said that they were grateful to our government for the liberties that they've given us. And I'm like, man, that is a messed up perspective on our government. Our government does not give us liberties. The Constitution gives us our liberties. The government is just the people within us that have risen up through the uh, democratic and the assigning process to be able to help us that we don't lose those liberties, to ensure that we keep those liberties. So we're a a democratic republic. Our other government, our primary government, is a monarchy. We, We sit first in the kingdom of God. We sit secondly in the United States of America two very different forms of government. But whether it's a parliament or whether it's a dictator or a monarch or a democratic or a theocracy, like in the Muslim countries, there's one common denominator to every single form of human government. And that's humans. Every government is run by people. And people are flawed. You know, I I think about... um, famous people, especially young famous Christian people I think about, they say that um, Justin Bieber is a Christian, I think how hard would it be to be Justin Bieber and be a Christian when all the world wants to tell you your are God and you have to figure out how to humble yourself and actually um, operate as a slave as a bond slave, as a servant underneath the people who will wash your feet before a show or who lift you up because they want to participate in your fame and your wealth. People are flawed. Even Christian people are flawed because we're not yet made in the full image of our God. Things like power, things like money, things like gaining influence and feeding our egos are some of the stumbling blocks that happen when people get into places like... The president, or the governor, or the legislature. And because they, they, they want to gather, you know, in their flesh, uh, led by demonic wisdom, maybe, they want to gather all of these things into themselves. They become flawed as our leaders. Our first government, the kingdom of God, is a perfect government. But it's only perfect for the same reason that every other, other, every other government is flawed. Because, see, our king is perfect. So, the kingdom of heaven, the king is righteous, the king is holy, the king is moral, the king is trustworthy, the king is faithful, the king is impartial. He's just. He would never do anything that wasn't just. He's infinitely wise. And he doesn't have a selfish bone in his body, in his spirit, self. Therefore, that particular government is awesome. But it's only awesome because the person who's the leader is awesome. You could have a monarchy with a terrible king and your life would be horrible. But we have a perfect king. So, the point of all this to tell you to talk about government is that if we have an expectation that Governor Whitmer or the Republican guy, if he would have won, President Trump or President Obama or you pick them or Senator this one or Congress lady that one, if you have any impression that they're going to serve you as you're used to being served in the kingdom of heaven, you might as well just put it away because they are very much likely to succumb. Now I'm not saying there's no decent politicians you won't have to push me hard to say that but I'm sure there's some decent politicians but they're never going to act like Jesus because they're people and they're flawed and there's a a demonic influence that wants them to act like the demonic influence and it uses those temptations of power and money and influence and ego to get them to behave how they behave And, and we see it it's not hard for us to see So, that being said, let me go back. I want to touch on Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, and give you some further perspective. And and, and let me just tell you, before we go any further, I guess you know the answer to this, because we're on Zoom this morning. But my perspective that I'm going to try to show you from the scriptures is, the righteous thing, the honorable thing, the God-fearing thing for us to do at this moment, is to not congregate the way the governor is asking us to not, con- maybe that's not not to meet how we normally meet but to respect the governor's edict so back to uh, Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 let me read it for you and then I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about this one a minute the primary one I want to talk about is First uh, Peter chapter 2 Romans 13 let every soul be subject to the governing authorities But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore To all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That course of scripture has been debated for millennia. Um, Theologians have been presenting their case ever since Paul wrote that letter. What does that mean? Is that absolutely? Are there conditions? How could it possibly mean this? It has to mean that. And they all have degrees and um, credentials, and they still can't come to an agreement. They interpret those scriptures differently. I read one recently. Actually, I haven't finished it. It's really long, and it's, it's, it's written in theologian talks, so it's a little bit hard for me to consume but it talked about, now notice that Paul used this Greek word this many times in these two verses, and this Greek word this many times, and we all understand that the the frequent use of these kind of words implies this, therefore, this is my conclusion, and I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I mean, not that I'm wanting to disagree with the guy, but it makes my head spin. Theologians would teach you in such a way that you think that you can't understand the scriptures. A, a guy taught one time that Because you don't read Hebrew, you don't understand the Sermon on the Mount, it's not written for you. And I'm thinking, there's three chapters in a Gospel, all red letters, and it has nothing to do with me? I have the Holy Spirit. I've given my life to God. I should be able to interpret those scriptures and guide my life. How is the church in China, when they're meeting underground, with no theologians to help them, how in the world, when you got to rip out a chapter of a book and give it to this person, and he has to bring it back so that person can have it of a Bible the next day, you don't think those people can't be led by God? They can't interpret those scriptures and rightly uh, behave their lives in a pleasing way to God? I think they can. So when, when I look at these papers and they agree or they disagree, then I find those people to be not much help to me. I tend to want to agree with the ones who agree with me and I have to be careful about that. Bottom line is, I don't need a PhD to understand the scriptures. I need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So the clear verse 1 and verse 2 of that passage says that I'm to honor them, I'm to respect them, I'm to obey them, I'm to be submissive to their edicts. And some of you are thinking, well, but if their edicts aren't righteous, then maybe I'm not. See, that's the conclusion I drew last time. And I honestly think there's a place for that. I don't think this is it, at least not yet. But the the scriptures themselves, if you've got to get to the place, I think, where you're, you're looking at every hyphen and, and how many times a certain Greek word is used, you're trying to figure out a way not to just listen to what they very clearly and explicitly say. So, I think that Romans chapter 13 clearly tells us that we're supposed to do what our government officials say. I don't know whether those specific names like Whitmer or Trump are in place because God put those individuals there, but I know God placed the authority and we're to be subject to the authority and sometimes you get a decent one and sometimes you get an indecent one and sometimes you get one whose motives are, are generally, generally pure and sometimes you get one with such an agenda that it makes you want to throw up. But there's something that God's doing to bring about righteousness always and he uses the, the obedience of the church, of his son, of the body of his son to bring about his ways. Let me give you a couple of examples, both from 1 Peter chapter 2, of what I think is going on in the scriptures to be going on with us. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. I'm actually going to read right through verse, I don't know, I can't see it in my notes, but it's it's broken up, and it's the same course of scripture, so you won't have to flip much pages. Here's what God says through Peter the Apostle. Very similar to what we just heard God say through Paul the Apostle. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. May I stop you for a minute. The doing right that I believe he's talking about is submitting yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or to a governor as a delegated authority of that king, that by doing right in submission, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, do what he says. Fear God, honor the king. So we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake, uh, because of him, because of our confession to his lordship, because that whether we can sort it out in our our human minds or not, we recognize that he's going to have the right way. So we submit ourselves for his sake in fear and honor of him. Every human institution, the king or the governor, It says also that it's the will of God by doing right, submitting. So there are foolish men that will stir up things because we don't submit. And you see that now. You you see it like somebody somebody got chewed out in a store for, you know, you got too close to me or, or you're not wearing a mask. And so we say, man, but I have a right. And, you know, I live in a different kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But all that does is bring about that mess. It doesn't silence it. God says, here's how you silence it. You do what they tell you to do. And I don't know how that all works, but I trust God. Use our freedom as bond slaves to God. Fear God, honor the king. Well, what if I don't like the king? Honor the king. Honor the king, honor the governor, honor the mayor, honor the president, honor the legislature. Don't don't talk about them in ways that are dishonoring especially publicly honor the king peter continues in verse 18 he's given us another perspective so he talked specifically about us in the government now he's going to speak to people who are slaves which is us we're slaves but that not in this particular context but but he's continuing to make a point here servants be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Other translations say to those who are harsh, cruel, or unjust. So he's saying to us, listen, you might have this master, whether it be the governor, whether it be the president, the legislature, or the master you, you're, you're in bondage to, you know, as a person individually, and you might be lucky and have a good one, submit to them. But you might have a rotten one who would who would rule over you in an unreasonable harsh cruel or unjust manner he's not giving us the license to not be submissive even when justice isn't part of that reign for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience so you recognize all right i did wrong you know there's something bad coming you endure it with you endure it with patience because you understand the righteousness of the punishment, so to speak. But if when you do what is right, in this context, be submissive and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. You may be a conspiracy theorist. You may know that there's some nefarious wrong, evil, big something going on behind all this COVID, the COVID's not even real it's manufactured, it was spread to get all us little lemmings to learn how to act in a whole new world order you may be that person I'm not telling you you're wrong honestly, I mean something seems like it stinks but that's not what we God's talking to us about here if we suffer unjustly, like I gotta wear a mask If we suffer because I have a civil right to gather together in the Constitution, uh, First Amendment, I get to do this. You can't take away my rights. I'm suffering. But if you suffer under that which is unjust or unrighteous, God expected that to happen. And he didn't change the instruction. The instruction is to be submissive. And when you do that, in those circumstances, you suffer patiently. Why, why are we suffering patiently? Because it doesn't make sense to us, but we're being patient. Why are we being patient? We're being patient because we know that God is bigger than we are. And he's asked us to do something that doesn't make sense to my natural wisdom. But there's a heavenly wisdom that God is working that he hasn't necessarily given us to be privy to. So we don't have to necessarily understand the wisdom. We have to necessarily understand the instruction. I can see Gail and J.D. and Margie. Somebody give me an amen nod. Thank you very much. And a wave. That's good. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense to you. I'm going to read you the rest of this 1 Peter scripture because there's one really important part I want you to see. Let me go back. Uh, This is verse 20, and I'll just carry that right through 25. What, for what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right, be submissive—that's my words—be submissive and suffer for it. You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example—or excuse me, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The point I want you to see there is this. Jesus suffered. He left an example for us that we're going to have to suffer. That being his disciple, uh, having his mission, is going to bring us to a place of suffering. It's inevitable. That's just how it's going to be. But he gave us an example of how to do it. And what Jesus did was he entrusted himself To the one who judges righteously. See, Jesus was being accused of all kinds of things, but he didn't utter a word in his own defense. We're being told you can't have your civil rights anymore. And we don't understand why. And we don't trust the people that are doing that. So either we can be like Jesus and honor God by doing what he's asking us to do and trusting him that no matter what the outcome is, He's bringing about his outcome, or we can trust ourselves, and we can say, God, you must not have been ready for this one, and I'm going to have to step outside of your instruction. I'm going to have to step outside of your will, and I'm going to help you with this because I have a way that's better than your way. That's really the decision that we're having to make. We have to be so careful That the wisdom that we're applying to this is heavenly wisdom, not earthly, natural, make sense to me wisdom versus trust in the Lord with all your heart wisdom. And it's tough. Let me go on. I'm going to give you two quick uh, courses of scripture to try to make a point with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and and the despised God has chosen. The things are not, excuse me, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. It's interesting, this course of scripture, and you can miss it if you just read to the, the part that's typically talked about. But think about the beginning. Consider your calling. What, what's your calling? Your calling isn't to be a pastor, or well, it might be, or a worship leader, or a missionary, or an evangelist. Your calling here is, is your calling by the gospel. You have been called. You're elect in Christ. You responded to that calling. Therefore, now he can call you brethren. He says, but notice this. There were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. So there's this whole group of people, right? Many are called, few are chosen. Why aren't they chosen? Because they don't choose. And the people that choose are the foolish ones. The ones that say, wow, I I didn't make very much money, but I have to give an offering or I should give an offering or a tithe, heaven forbid. And the the noble and the mighty and the ones who are so impressed with their own wisdom look down and they say, look at you. Are you crazy? I, I think Francis Chan, when he's doing the sermon with the rope, with the little red piece and the white piece, and the people say, you're crazy. You could have had a big house and a nice car, and everybody would have looked up to you, and the seas would have parted when you walked. But you chose to give away your stuff and have nothing. You're nuts, and Fred says, "No, you're crazy, because you're spending all your energy on this little red temporal part of the rope, ignoring the eternal part of the rope." I'm not nuts; you are. The point is, what what God through uh, Paul is trying to tell us is that if you think about it, God uses the foolish to take and shame those that think that they're wise. He chases the weak and uses them to um, expose the one who thinks he's strong. And in the end, that just God is going to sort everything out. And the person that says, you you know what, you are crazy because you could have this or you could have that. There's going to come a day when they're going to wish they made the decision that you made. God's ways are confounding to earthly wisdom and it's important that we understand that not the mighty not many noble not many wise according to earthly wisdom because they didn't choose in that calling so every decision we make is in that context it's a choice not specifically to the calling but the response to the continual life with god in his word as he's calling us to live our lives we have to be careful that we don't become like the strong and the noble and the proud in our response to his word God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise the weak things to shame the strong the base and despised he has chosen so that there's a purpose I'm seeing every so that in the scriptures right now so that he may nullify the things that are and finally so that no man may boast before God The person that thought he had a better answer is not going to boast in the day of judgment before the Lord. He's going to be humbled. And he's going to confess and his knees are going to be bent that Jesus is Lord. Okay. Let me show you this in another course of scripture. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah 55. I'm going to stretch myself a little bit here so I'll tell you when that is and you can decide how you see it. Um, But I think it may be indicative. Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 11. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let, let me just stop for a second. I fought I, I myself, and I didn't put it in here, but I'm going to recite it. Proverbs 3, it seems like every other week I'm quoting Proverbs 3. But think about this. Trust in the Lord. How many of you would quote this scripture? Everybody does, right? And it makes sense to us until it tests us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. God says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we have to decide, whose ways and whose thoughts are we going to trust? God himself declares that his are superior to ours. But it's tough because I want my civil rights and I want to do what I want to do. Continuing on, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater so will my word. Remember, it's still God speaking. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now here's where I may be stretching myself a little bit. You can decide. Is not the word of God that we have in the scripture God's word going forth? Is not Romans 13 God's word going forth? Is not... 1 Peter chapter 2, God's word going forth. And he says, My word will accomplish that which I've sent it to do. Now, this is a this is this is maybe connecting some dots that aren't maybe they're a dotted line and not a solid line, but part of how God is accomplishing what he wants to do is through his son, Jesus Christ. And and in accomplishing through his son, he's accomplishing through the body of his son, which is the church. And if we will acknowledge him, not only will he make our path straight, we'll see that in a second, but he might make the ones who would have our path not to be straight also come into alignment with his saving grace. I think it's a slippery, slippery slope when we start to judge the word of God. I need another nod from somebody. Is, is this making sense to you? Okay, thank you very much so here's what I did to Steve and here's what people do to me when when I get the opportunity to have this conversation but what if but what if my king is Adolf Hitler what about that and you can what if this conversation until I drop dead and you can just win by wearing me out because I cannot answer almost any what ifs let alone all the what ifs but don't you think that the Lord knows about all the what ifs I can't explain to you, did God put Adolf Hitler in charge of Germany? Did God anoint him to do the things that he did? I don't know. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how to reconcile Adolf Hitler with these scriptures. Should I have blind submission? If Governor Whitmer says, you know, do this, do do I have to do it because those scriptures don't give me any leeway? I think the answer is no. Pastor Wes in his message last week asked that same question. He said, Do I have to be blindly obedient because of what what this is teaching us? He said no. And then he listed examples in the scripture where God ordained the people's disobedience to the civil authorities. So if God, uh, if if Governor Whitmer said or or President Trump said or the legislature enacted a law that said that, you know, anybody whose first name starts with X, you have to kill them because we're not going to have any X's in our society. Are we obligated to do that? We're not because it's contrary to the moral command of our Lord. But remember, one of the moral commands of our Lord is to obey them, but we don't obey them into the space that denies God. So he gave us examples that would tell us that, nope, they can't be absolute because we can see from the scripture that they weren't absolutely followed and God approved. But he says, this isn't that. We are not at that point right now because you can look and you can see where Governor Whitmer and President Trump and all the other governors and whatever, whether their motivations are good or bad, you can make sense out of what they're telling us to do. That if their, if their motives were absolutely pure, these are some of the things that we would do so that people could, could live and they wouldn't get sick and die. And we wouldn't overwhelm the health system. Again, I'm not trying to say their motives are good, bad, or otherwise. I don't know. But if they get to the place where they're asking us to deny God, then we're going to have a hard decision to make. If it's, if it's 18 months from now, and they're saying, hey, listen, just, you've got to be careful. No, still no church. You guys are doing great with Zoom. At some point between now and then, we're going to have to make a decision and try to figure out what would God have us to do because this doesn't feel like that. And I don't really look forward to that time. I, I, can't, I hope that they just say, hey, we're turning on the United States of America and it just stays how it was. But we'll have to prayerfully consider what to do when that time comes. My point is now isn't that time. We dishonor God when we disobey him because you can make a good case that what they're doing makes sense. We haven't crossed the line where they're asking us to deny God. So then what do we do? It's funny, if it wasn't for all this, we'd have been past these scriptures in 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge God, speaking to Paul, through Paul, to Timothy and to all of us. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. And then he gives us some specifics. For kings and all who are in authority. And then he gives us a so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Skip now to verse 8. Therefore I want the men, I think we can extrapolate the ladies, in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So Timothy is being taught by Paul, who's being taught by God, to tell the people in the church at Ephesus, that's us, that we should be praying to God for all people. And then he highlights a certain subset of the people, kings and all who are in authority. And then he gives us a reason why he highlighted that one. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That sounds a lot like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And one of the ways that we would acknowledge him, we would lift up to him kings and all who are in authority. In the context of, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth such that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, I have to confess to you that I have failed in that regard. I've had animus in my heart. I've had anger and bitterness in my heart towards the people that he's asking me to pray for. And I've confessed it to him and I've confessed it to you I have to also confess the sin of omission. I haven't actually done those things with any vigor, as I can see in the scriptures, I should have done. My guess is you might, some of you have the same problem I do. What I'm saying is God's ways are higher than our ways. God is interested that Gretchen Whitmer would spend eternity in his heaven, not in hell. He's interested that every one of those governors would come. To repentance and the knowledge of the truth that would be saved. They'd come to know God in a saving way. And he seems to be telling us that the way that's going to happen is when we humble ourselves against our anger, against our bitterness, against our I didn't vote for you. And we get down on our knees and humble ourselves before God and cry out for their salvation. I can't imagine he won't hear our prayers. Now they may still choose to reject him and they may still operate as people with selfish agendas but we won't have to sit before god in our judgment day and give an account for why we didn't do what he asked us to do why we didn't operate in love remember the scripture maybe i read it today i don't think so but when you love the person that loves you god says there's no credit for that that's easy of course you love the person that loves you when you love the person who doesn't love you that's when you start storing up some treasure in heaven so what do we do First, we be subject to their edicts. Second thing we do is we pray. We pray for our governmental leaders and we pray without wrath or dissension. And I don't know exactly when he says what lifting up holy hands means, but my what I sense when I approach God with my hands lifted up is I've, I've placed myself in a vulnerable position. I've exposed myself and I've said, God, here I am. If you wanted to kill me, you could kill me because my hands are not in a position where I could protect myself. I'm naked standing before you. I'm, I'm just exposing myself and I'm saying these words of praise to you because you're so worthy and you're so trustworthy. And I think when we pray, it's another sign of submission and humility. If our hands are in the air, maybe it's just a metaphor. Maybe you don't actually raise your hands in the air. But it's a metaphor for the place of your heart when you come before him in submission, in love. Because when we do what he says, that's how we love him. And we come to him and we say, God, you're so concerned for Gretchen Whitmer. I want to come here and pray on her behalf, Lord, according to your word. And I want to cry out to you from a true and sincere and a pure heart, Lord, that she might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then by selfish purposes, if she does that, then she'll be a good leader and my life will be tranquil and I will be allowed to do the things that you'd have me to do. We'd be subject to their edicts because that's what God told us to do. We pray for them without wrath or dissension because God told us to. We bear up under all this stuff, just like the scripture I read you said, Bear up under that unjust master of yours and we trust God. Now this might feel like a little poke in the eye, but I just want to be maybe a little open of the eye. How glorious is it when we sing, God, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. I give you everything. I'm your slave. I have no life of my own. And this is where actually that's tested. Because now they're asking for my civil rights and I'm an American. Is he worthy of it all? Is he worthy of your civil rights? Is he worthy of your your right to congregate and your right to this and your right to that? Is he worthy of it? I know you know the answer. I know the answer. I stumble just as much as anybody. Praise God for grace and forgiveness and repentance and all those kinds of things. His word supersedes our American Constitution. And if we honor him, I think that that American Constitution will probably be honored by those people that we're crying out to him for. But we got to decide. Churches are meeting today. Those pastors see things different. They think we've crossed the line. I don't think we've crossed the line. I honor them. I, I, it's such a hard thing. I'm not trying to paint anybody in a bad light. But my conviction from these scriptures and my prayer is that we're doing the right thing, even though it doesn't feel just and it involves suffering. I was going to ask for people to do this, but I think it'll be easier if I do it. And then when I'm done, there's, there's a couple more worship songs where we can, we can, we can worship and we can, we can use those songs to help us. I want to pray for our leaders. Father God, I come to you. I, I think it's probably metaphorically, but I'm going to raise my hands because that's what the word said just, just for this moment. And I reach up to you in humility for my governor, our governor, Whitmer. And I pray for her soul, Lord. I pray that eternally that all of this COVID and, and, and meeting and social distancing and all that's going to mean nothing for all of eternity it's going to mean nothing lord so i pray to you without regard to any of this for governor whitmer's soul lord i pray for her peace i pray that that the influences of wealth and power and glory and and recognition and all those kinds of things those spirits that are drawing against her that are making her feel like somebody god i pray to you we pray to you god that you would silence those voices and let her hear the other voice that's calling to her. The voice of your grace that calls a person onto your son. That she would hear that voice and she would have an experience with you, God. Such an experience to recognize that voice. And I pray, Lord, you give her the strength to be able to respond to that voice despite that Planned Parenthood makes America great. It does not make America great. And, and inside of her, she knows that you're real and she knows that that's not true, Lord. But she's cornered herself in a position that's very difficult for her to get out. She knows she's going to be criticized if she humbles herself, Lord. And I pray you give her the strength and the power and the grace to humble herself. That she may come before King Jesus, recognizing herself as a sinner, confessing herself to be a sinner, confessing herself to be repentant to wanting to change directions to serve Jesus as her Lord understanding that there's no way for her to be just before you except in trusting the sacrifice that Jesus made for her and that she would place her trust in that she would place her trust in the resurrected Christ and that in that faith she'd be saved and in that faith she'd be born again And in that faith, we call her sister. And in that faith, she can be empowered by you with hope. And she can endure all of the criticism that will come her way, but she will have the entire church of the living God behind her to strengthen her in our prayers. I apply this same prayer, Lord, to every person who doesn't know you, who's in a place of authority, every mayor, every legislator, every governor, every county commissioner, the President of the United States, the Congress, to every one of them, Lord. That authority is yours. You've established it. And we pray that they would come to know you in a saving way and they would operate according to the one who's put them in.